I left school at 16. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up just up the street in Hackney. Didn't leave with many great qualifications at all. Got on the bus with 15 pence and a bit of ambition. Turned up at Liverpool Street. Believe it or not, my actual grade for GCSE for tech was an F, um, which ended up being my career. Have the irony. On today's show, we are talking to Vanessa Vallelli, OBE, the managing director and founder of We Are The City. Why is it apt? Well, this week, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of children are waiting for their GCSE results. And here we're talking to someone who failed their technology GCSE before going on to have an amazing and inspirational career in that very sector. Welcome to Tech Talks. This is your twice-weekly podcast hosted by myself, David Savage. Every week, we debate the latest challenges facing the sector across digital and tech spaces, get expert insight from our guests in the form of an interview, and have a little bit of tech news. So whether you're in the space or just listening because you love it, this is the podcast for you. So before we get into today's interview, I'm joined by Robin. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Plowing my way through Stranger Things. I haven't even touched the second season. No, third season yet. I was going to say you. You're, you're, <laughs> you're a long way behind. <laughs> yeah. Is it good? Yeah. Yeah. Better yeah. than the first two. Uh, more mature. Okay. Because obviously the kids are getting older. Mm. So the storylines that they can write about, it's, it's a bit different when you've got a whole bunch of like 10 and 11 year olds versus, I guess they're now like 15, 16. Yeah. So it's more gruesome. Oh, really? A little bit. Mm. It, it, like, obviously, it's difficult to say when it would get broadcast. Like, it felt like it was a, it felt like it was a Saturday tea time show when series one, mm. like seven o'clock in the evening Doctor Who type slot. Whereas now it feels more like it's a Wednesday at nine o'clock on Channel Four style show. But are they killing it now? No, they're not. Because you know how some seasons can completely overdo it and they end up killing no. the whole show. No, they're not. Okay, fine. No, it's very good. I um, my life was was just so taken over by Love Islands that I haven't, I still haven't caught up. And that's been a while ago. I know, but now I can't be bothered. <laughs> like I'm just like you've got like a Love uh, Island void. I know. I just it's just so much I want to watch. Like I want to watch Killing Eve because that's out. Season two's out now. Yeah, been out forever. Still haven't watched it. Yeah, had a few recommendations on the floor about things to watch. So I haven't done any of it. This I need to watch. I'm just like, oh god, I can't be bothered. Robin, sort your life out. <laughs> no, I need to. I mean, I've been going to the gym every evening, but that is not a priority. Stranger no. Things is. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, one person who sorted their life out. Who? Today's guest. Okay. Yeah. She has. She, she got a GCSE in technology F. Yeah. And is now an OBE, a managing director of We Are the City. Very impressive. Which is yeah. <laughs> Seriously impressive. impressive. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, look, probably shouldn't compare her life to you watching some TV shows, but <laughs> she is an inspirational figure. Uh, <laughs> terrible link, terrible, terrible. link. Terrible. How did that even link? I don't think you even I, linked yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's clunky. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll hand over to the interview. Uh, stick with us. Um, we will have some comments on the interview as ever afterwards, and then a little bit of a topical conversation about some tech news later on in the show. So today we are talking to Vanessa. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for coming in and spending some time. Thanks for having me. Um, you have had a varied career leading to a really interesting role at the minute, which has seen you, well, a number of accolades looking through your LinkedIn, but most notably an OBE uh, yes. for work in inclusion. Yeah. Um, just before we dive into any great detail, do you want to explain what you actually do? 
So I head up an organisation called We Are The City, which was formed back in 2008, mostly out of my own frustration as a senior leader and being the only woman in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a personal perspective, I wanted to know where I could network and meet other women, where I could learn new skills. And at the time, there was probably about four women's networks that existed. Um, and it, they were hard to find. You had to Google mm-hmm. them. Some of them you had to be recommended by someone else. And I was kind of questioning that there must be swaths of women around that are looking for opportunities to drive their own careers. And do they have hours and hours to Google? So the plan was I'd build a platform that would house all the information on that was going on for women. Mm. Now, bear in mind, this was 2008. So it was financial crisis. No one was looking at personal development for men or women. We were kind of lucky if we even had plants at that point. Um, so the plan was to to gather up all of this kind of the smaller events, say the smaller networks, development programs. And then around 2010, Helen Morrissey, 30% Club, really put kind of gender on the map, saying more women should mm. be on boards. And I believe that kind of opened up the gates for the gender agenda. So uh, where the city exists, we provide a news feed of things that would interest women. We promote women's networks across the UK, events they can attend. We interview lots of inspirational men and lots of inspirational women mm-hmm. to tell their own career story. So, sorry, just to jump in, you're mentioning some dates there, kind of 2008, 2010. Yes. So this was this was something that started as a as a passion project rather than, a, than a business. Absolutely, on the side of my desk. Yeah, so you were working at... You, basically, that's that period where you were at Aviva. You had a short spell at Barclays and then went back to Aviva, I right? I did, yeah. So prior to that, do you want to go back to when it really all started? Well, look, I mean, it'd be interesting to know how you ended up in the technology space. Because you you started off in projects? Yeah, absolutely. I left school at 16. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up just up the street in Hackney. Didn't leave with many great qualifications at all. Got on the bus with 15 pence and a bit of ambition. Turned up at Liverpool Street. Managed to get myself a job in NatWest. Right. Um, Clerical kind of work. Believe it or not, my actual grade for GCSE for tech was an F, um, which ended up being my career, how the irony. Um, But kind of always ambitious and always kind of punched above my weight in most of my roles. Mm -hmm. Fell into tech, uh, went to work for a tech company called Business Systems Group that at the time were selling PCs and software into the city. Bear in mind this is paper and pen showing my age, you know, people coming onto PCs saying, we're never going to use them, you know, they're going to take our jobs and a bit like how we are with AI at the moment. And um, fell into that company as a receptionist, always had this ethos of putting my hand up to help other people with their work. Ended up helping the training manager there. Um, we were selling courses, Windows 3.1, uh, WordPerfect. I mean, this is kind of showing what time it was. I mean, did, 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 the, did the technology gr- curriculum at the time even remotely resemble what was going on in industry no, then? absolutely not. We were the, I think my last year of secondary school, which was 1997, we were the first year to get computers. And the reason I think I failed my, my, um, my technology exam was because... Part of on this particular computer was a, a system, um, a program called L, which they used for match GCSE, which was deemed more important than tech. Right. So I spent most of my time on that PC playing this mathematical game so that I could get a decent math grade, which only came in at a C anyway. <laughs> um, so to finish the kind of story, so I ended up in training, started to train myself, ended up training about 25 different applications. Mm. Uh, ended up at Reader's Digest, took voluntary redundancy, set up my own company at 22, realised that I had zero business acumen, didn't understand anything about running a business, scalability, even down to the tax man. Um, closed that business after a year because it just wasn't, I was just running all over the country, you know, I didn't 
figure that I could send a trainer up to Edinburgh and put a 10% mark up and just be sitting in London to kind of grow the business. I'd go and do it myself. So um, after coming out of training, started to tinker around in the back end of PC, started to learn programming languages. Right. Um, I think I wrote one of Barclays' first compensation systems in Visual Basic. Um, was playing around with that, but then got into desktop support. Um, so very much kind of fixing PCs and then moved into the program office around projects. Ended up being a project manager, program director, moved into there, kind of took a bit of a sideways move into the business management side mm. and then up to COO and then general like chief of staff kind of roles. So more managerial. You mentioned that when you were coming, when you were on that journey, there weren't many women in oh. senior leadership roles. And I'm guessing that's not just tech, but just generally. Well, it was finance and tech. Yeah. So there was an absolute lack of women. So who helped you? A lot of men. Yeah. I've had a lot of men that have championed me and give me opportunities to say, bear in mind, I didn't fit that particular stereotype to be in a bank, you know, zero kind of any GCSEs to write home about, slightly different from my own background, Cockney accent. You know, I, did, I, was, I was different, you know, yeah, yeah. From, a, from a diversity perspective that doesn't often get covered, which is the socioeconomic piece. So, um, so it was really me saying to people, give me an opportunity and I'll do my best and I'll, let me show you what I can do. And having a few amazing guys, and, and I write about them in my book, you know, giving me that opportunity to... To show them that I could do it. Now... And support me when I fell over, because there was mistakes along the way. Well, everyone's human, Exactly, exactly. So, We Are the... Sorry, We Are Tech Women... Yeah. ...has now been running Tech Women 100 Awards for how many years? Two years now. Two years. And that focuses very much at the level below the boardroom. Absolutely, the pipeline. Why is that? Um... I think if I look back on my own kind of career, when you get to a certain level of seniority, a lot of things get brought to you, Mm. kind of your network, you stop seeking permission if you want to walk out the door at three or four o'clock. And I look at that pipeline generation and I see that they're in the treacle part of their career. So they're still permission seeking in some organisations, depending obviously the culture of that organisation. That's the period where they may be having kids and stuff like that. There's a lot to juggle. Um, So that's really where I want to focus because I truly believe if we invest in that pipeline of women, we will solve this problem around women in senior leadership positions in tech over time. Mm. So, and if you look at the award spectrum, there's some fantastic awards out there for women in tech. But a lot of them focus very much on kind of senior women, whereas I just wanted us to be totally different. Let me shine a light on, let me put a spotlight on women that other that wouldn't otherwise be recognised. Mm. And we're very good at that. We've, we've got a very big mouth um, over at We Are The City and We Are Tech Women. So we do whatever we can to support them. And it isn't just a case of giving them an award. It's the support they get afterwards. So days training, members, to, um, industry bodies. And it's that constant kind of support when they're at a point in their career where they need advice. So they're always ringing up. But the winners, we've got 150 um, alumni, and they're very much like a family. And they support each other. And even um, most recently, I was I went to speak at a school, and there were three girls that had lost their work experience placements, and 
So the teacher said to me, is there anything you can do? And I put something out on LinkedIn to say, look, I've got these three girls. They need work experience placements, really short notice. What can you do? And it was my tech women that responded. Mm. You know, one went off to BlackRock, one went off to the post office, the other one went, went off to Barclays. But they've got this ethos of paying it forward. So they've got that accolade of that award. And what can they do to kind of pay that forward and give back? And it's also that community that have responded to numerous mentoring requests that we get in to join school programmes. And because obviously encouraging girls at that young age to consider tech as a career is equally important. And you're touching on stuff there that's, that's, that's interesting because awards are fantastic. and It's Absolutely. brilliant to be able to shine a spotlight on someone. But um, I've had numerous conversations with various different organisations where they, they identify kind of the girls when they are maybe 15 16 and they are excelling in science and maths but if anything they are dissuaded by their parents and their teachers from continuing those subjects through and therefore possibly cutting off some career routes that they would have otherwise considered so you've mentioned some mechanisms for getting into those those environments and helping those girls develop those skills but but how else do you see those alumni really practically helping fix that pipeline problem i think it is about trying to dispel the myths about being a woman in tech mm. um a lot of people think like if you talk to young kids and again i talk in a lot of schools they think being a technologist it's slightly changing now because of the digital age and stuff like that but it's very much it's just about coding um so they don't see the landscape of different opportunities that lie within uh, mm. within the tech kind of industry in terms of what they could do so for me sometimes it is just that storytelling i work in tech but this is what i do you know i do perhaps some stuff on the marketing side or you know I work in tech but I manage large projects and you know I connect systems all over the world so it's trying to make it sound a little bit more exciting by telling those stories so I think it's going into schools and, and telling the, those stories and teaching kids what tech really looks like in the real world because mm. from a curriculum perspective I'm not I'm not overly impressed you know my own daughter's were in I said one of them was in a class of 30 boys and she came home she said I'm building a website mum and I was like oh that's great what you what are you building the website on and she's like Dreamweaver and I'm like really you know it's you know this old technology mm. so I think a lot of it has to do with the curriculums and um, there are an amazing amount of initiatives now that are out there to encourage more girls into STEM subjects and, and into tech you've got Tech She Can which is a um, headed by PwC and they've built out a whole schools plan for schools to use around different technology aspects you've got STEMettes that do wonderful things I'd say all the code clubs so we promote them on We Are Tech Women because we want our visitors to say okay I'm in a tech role what can I do to give back what can I do to inspire the next generation of female technologists towards the beginning of our chat I asked you whether or not uh, the curriculum at the time that you went through it represented the world then obviously tech moves incredibly fast do you think that that gap's got even wider yes. between curriculum and the real world absolutely because technology has grown at such a pace and yeah. the schools haven't caught up and it's not their fault you know but it's about having the right teachers in schools to be teaching some of this stuff mm. you know and sometimes the tech teachers even if i look at my daughter's tech teacher is amazing but he learned about technology 20 years ago you know we've massively evolved over that so how do we get some of this new stuff into the schools and that's where these other smaller organizations that are doing different stuff with kids and teaching them how to code um you know and teaching them different tech aspects that's where these are so important and majority of them are not government funded that you know they're they're passion projects people run them off the side of their desks you know or they may get a little bit of funding but they're not as big as they could as they could be 
Now, one thing that I wanted to very quickly ask you about, in February 2016, you uh, became an advisory board member for GDS. I did. Having spent a career in insurance and finance. I mean, it's only an advisory board. Sure. Um, And I sit with the lovely Dr. Sue Black, and I think Martha Lane Fox is on that board. But... Um, it's all kind of got a bit quiet at the moment. I think it was a Brexit and stuff. But, um, but it was a lovely opportunity. I say, Mr Hancock um, came mm-hmm. and said, you will join. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting, you know, being part of that. I've sat on a couple of boards before in that kind of advisory role. I, I suppose my question was going to be kind of, you've, you've been in organisations whilst, you know, Aviva and Barclays. Yes, they're huge organisations. Nine still... banks I've been at. Right. But you can still just about make changes even in those huge organizations yeah. that, that affect them it must be so hard for central government now to really be able to to affect change and i think that's why you're seeing more and more elected city mayors and regional mayors yeah, who have an impact. so what have you tried to do on that board as, as a group not not as an individual but as but as a collective to try and make some changes that you think if i told can... you i'd have to kill you <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, I think that 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 board is really just a challenge. Yeah. Really, that's all it is. And and most of these advisory boards, it is to put fair challenge on the table. You know, you're not part of whether it's government or whether it's a private sector organisation. You're not physically part, so you can ask the questions that perhaps wouldn't normally get asked around the table and put those challenges. Um, because it, it is interesting to see how the role of central government evolves. Yeah. In this incredible. And they're doing some wonderful movement. things. The GDS. Yeah. You know, Kevin Cunningham heads it up. He's an amazing gentleman. Mm. You know, but they are really kind of pushing it forward. You think, I mean, some of the stuff they've done around the digitalisation, around government, you know, things that we can now get online. You know, if I talk to my my own kids or stuff like that and you can just go online and get a passport and you can just go online and, you know, get a licence for this and licence for that. I mean, I remember queues in post offices that went out the door, you know. So we are evolving. Is it fast enough? No. Anyway, look, before we um, before we finish up, we did mention the awards. We did. Um, and my conference coming up. Let's get some, some information out if anyone's interested. So... Uh, nominations will close after a four-week period on the 20th of September. Of September, exactly. So we're looking for women that work in tech or on the periphery of tech from any industry, mm-hmm. as long as they're below director level. So nominations from them, anyone can nominate. Self-nominations are more than welcome. I think we're at about 300 nominations at the moment. We've only been open kind of 12 days. Um, so it's going really well. And yep. the judges on that are an amazing set Mainly. of diverse judges. Uh, for yourself. Um, <laughs> from different backgrounds and you know to make sure that we get that 200 shortlist and that 100 winners mm-hmm. um and post the awards because kind of the end of the year is all about tech at we the city we've got our tech conference which happens in november yep. um so again that conference isn't waxing lyrical about the man the lack of women at the top of organizations this is true tech you know te- treating our guests like true technologists we're mm-hmm. covering cyber big data we've got caroline carrado perez who wrote data bias in visible women um we've got her speaking at it we've got a wonderful panel at the end of the day or with autis Dealey from the gadget show we've got Anne marie i'm a fidden on there from stemets dr mm-hmm. sue black jacqueline dimrocos from tech uk yep. um but it's a great day cloud technology digital um what else we got on there? Cybersecurity, all of the big kind of tech ticket items. And we're looking at them saying, what's going on around that tech discipline? How's it disrupting the industry? How's it innovating? And my hope is that all of the 600 women that we have there will be inspired and motivated and also understand, because the under kind of the overarching theme of the conference is around the future world of work, yeah. how they will transition into those future roles. Um, 
around some of those topics. So so if someone was interested to get on the shortlist for a nomination or even to find out more about the conference, what's the web address? Um, it's www.wearetechwomen.com. Dot com. And we will include a link in the show notes. But look, thank you for your time. Thank, thank you for coming for having in me. and share some of your uh, incredibly diverse and interesting background <laughs> and what you're doing at the moment. Thank you. And fingers crossed that there are plenty of people who get in touch uh, and nominate. Indeed. Thank you very much. Right, kind of joking aside at the beginning, that, that clunky link. I, I love the way she describes going to Liverpool Street with 15p on a bus, turning up, getting a job at NatWest, and of all the ironies, ending up in technology despite having got an F at GCSE. I know, but I love that. I think especially um, as when the A-level results have recently been released, yeah. it's quite an interesting thing to talk about because people will get the results that they don't necessarily want and disappointed by them. But actually, it just shows that it doesn't really matter as long as you work hard and you have a vision about things you want to do. Yeah, I mean, look, I, yes, yes, you're right. I think so. I mean, of course they matter. We shouldn't be selling kids, your exams don't matter. But just because you don't get the grades that society tells you you have to get doesn't mean at the age of 16 or 18 you should be written off. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> that's how I meant to word it. <laughs> you, you said it exactly like that. No, 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 but that's what I meant because you shouldn't be too disheartened because it's not the end of the journey or the end of the road. Like, yeah. There's still things out there for you to do that you probably wouldn't even initially dream of at the start. I mean, also, like... <clears throat> I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do at 16 or 17 when I was applying for universities in different courses. I just kind of picked stuff that I thought might be interesting. Like, if, truth be told, I don't think I really knew what I wanted to do till I hit 27 or 28, if I'm perfectly honest. Yeah. Like, I enjoyed my role at Harvey Nash as a recruiter from the age of 21, 22. But I think if you'd asked me age 25, is it what I want to do with my life? I'd still be kind of like, well, it's good and I'm enjoying the company, but I don't, I don't really know exactly where I'm going. And I think we do put a lot of pressure on people at a very young age to kind of have this very mature plan about, you know, having everything solved and fixed, which is just totally ludicrous. I know. And there's, there's so much out there that you're not even exposed to that, that you can, that you can do. I mean, what was that statistic? I think we spoke about, I think a, few, a while ago now, that a lot of jobs haven't even been created yet for the next generation. Yeah, yeah, something like sixty or seventy percent of the jobs. So it's just so the kids, the kids now in education will occupy haven't been invented. Yeah, but I mean, no, obviously grades are important for a number of reasons, but I don't think it should let anyone. I don't think it should knock anyone back in terms of their capabilities. Yeah, because it shouldn't. And I think more importantly, as she says. I was different and she had the attitude of let me show you what I can do and that attitude in most work environments will serve you well yeah. regardless of whatever your educational background is provided you're willing to work with people and you want to show your worth that generally happens yeah plus tech has massively evolved it's such a different thing from when she was in school mm. i remember those massive computers when i was in school yes I, I was old enough to have those computers in school i remember them they were massive they were absolutely nowhere like like tech is tech is you're today. looking at me like I'm, I'm, i was gonna try i know you're looking yeah i know what you're thinking <laughs> um but yeah, like it's just miles apart now. What she was learning in school was just completely different to what she's doing now. And she's right. There are different elements to it. I heard her saying that she was working on the project management side, the marketing side, a lot more that goes into it than just yeah. like work, sitting in a classroom working on a computer. Yeah, although interestingly enough, 
she thinks now that the gap between curriculum and reality of the working world is wider than it's ever been. And it stands to reason with the pace that the technology industry is moving. And I found it really interesting that she said that there's a real focus on coding mm. and actually to get more women involved in technology. I think to get anybody involved in technology, there needs to be more storytelling and, and the industry needs to be brought to life. You know, that's, that's how to inspire kids. And that's entirely right. Like, it's great that coding is now a big part of the curriculum, but just because it's part of the curriculum doesn't mean that it's going to resonate with yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. I think moving on as well to other points she was talking about, um, like trying to get target target women to be more interested in this type of thing. I think the onus should also be placed on the men as well because it is men that are predominantly in these positions of power that will give women the access to these to these type of roles and senior roles in, in the tech industry as well. So I still, you know, I think it's amazing that the focus should be on, on kids at a young age to educate them and to... Like persuade women into mm. into pursuing this as a as a career, but I think the onus still needs to be placed on men to also consider women for these type of roles as well. Yeah, and one of the great things about the Tech One Hundred that we mentioned there, with with the nominations being open at the moment, if you look at the judging panel, half of it is men. Yeah, um, and we've spoken plenty of times on this podcast before about the power of allies. Yeah, that it's only with that support. Unfortunately, and this is not to say that women are not capable on their own of, of making their way through an organisation. Of course they are, but 80% of the boardroom is male. Yeah. And therefore, if there's going to be real change, it's only going to be with the support of the whole community, not just one half of it. Yeah, I remember her saying as well in the interview that all her help came from, from men to get where she is. And you need that in the workplace for people to, to recognise that, yeah, women are more than capable of, of achieving all these things, but you need that help from your allies, which which is, happens to be let, let me just dominated. ask you a fairly direct question. She talks about permission-seeking. Yes. Do you think you permission-seek more than your male peers of your same age? Uh, that's a really interesting point, actually. I think it's, it's hard for me to put myself in that position because everyone in my team at the moment people don't know because they don't see where I work and who I work with are relatively junior it's predominantly male team yeah. but relatively junior so they're going to be more well I just, I just ask because I know that the makeup of your team is, is predominantly yeah. mid to early 20s I, yeah but I think just because of how a lot of them have recently started at the moment I think I, I couldn't make that link right. I think if I think at the moment in terms of my career I've only been here a year and a half yeah probably more probably more than, than others have been here a bit longer that are male yeah. but I don't know it's hard hard to play me as a person you know me I'm quite direct I yes. like think I wouldn't permission seek as like as the average girl my age probably would but yeah it's hard to but that's a good that's a good thing if you don't immediately go yeah yeah that would say to me that there is some progress and obviously I'm talking about one tiny pocket and one tiny example but I thought it was really interesting she was talking about you know women have a lot to juggle they do have to permission seek maybe a little bit more and then they're also expected because society to be the, the person at home mm. you know they're, they're the ones who be who, who look after children if you have children at a certain time of life yeah um, yeah so I think it's, it's fantastic sorry that she's built up a network that looks at that early to mid tier yeah oh me too I think having those those awards for people that are below the board level is actually really important because these people that support the wider business and support the senior people to get to where they are that deserves some recognition as well that, that, that don't typically get that so I think it's an incredible way to recognise people that wouldn't otherwise be rec recognised. Look, Vanessa, uh, you don't need us to tell you that we think it's fairly fantastic because you've got an OBE, so 
you know, yeah. that's been widely recognised that you're pretty fantastic. But thanks for talking. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming on to Tech Talks and sharing um, with our audience your story and also a bit about the tech. Um, we are Tech Women and Women 100 Awards. Um, a link to the nomination page will be included in the show notes. So on whatever podcast app you're listening to, scroll down and find it there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, quick announcement and then some tech news. Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to the show. If you are listening and it is Thursday morning, tonight you could come and meet me and Robin and Jack and Sean and Ryder and all the people who are involved in Tech Talks because we're going to be at Clare Street in Shoreditch recording Monday's shows. The show going out on this bank holiday Monday will be recorded on this evening, that's the 22nd of August. Why are you laughing at me? Because I know you're trying to figure out the dates in your yeah, head. Yeah, I was like, hang on, what date is it tomorrow? Yeah. So today is the 22nd of August. We are recording Thursday, 22nd of August, Tech Hub on Clare Street in Shoreditch, recording at 6.30, doors from 6. If you want to come along, if you're a fan of the show and you're in London... There'll be pizza and beer and soft drinks afterwards, non-alcoholic beer, because I'm a bit weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, you're not supposed to agree. <laughs> Come along and join us. Anyway, bit of tech news. Hit me. I like this part. Right. How big, in terms of billions of pounds, do you think the UK fitness industry is? Maybe like three, four billion? Pretty good guess. It's 4.9 billion. I thought, do you know what? I would have thought that had been a lot more yeah but you were being conservative and that was sensible anyway <laughs> they think by 2023 it'll be worth 5.3 billion and the big rise is um predominantly around fitness apps a lot of them are aimed at women so i'd be interested to know if you tried anything because because one of the huge ones is sweat which is that kayla it mm. instance oh, or one of them? no idea she... Th- 35 million classes have been put out on that app since oh it started in 2015 God. Yeah. I haven't heard of it. Yeah, sweat. It's huge. I didn't know. But anyway, um, there's another one called uh, Fit with a double uh, I, so F-double-I-T, where they've got personal trainers with Instagram followings of like 600,000. Mm. So they've got huge audiences signing up for these classes that you can obviously do at home and you can wear heart rate trackers, etc. So this is like a huge area of growth. On the one hand, I think that's fantastic. Um, but I wanted to kind of know what you thought because... There's also kind of some some slightly darker tones that are going along with this. So um, this article is in The Guardian and they've got accounts from women who say that they prefer working out at home because they go to a gym and there's instances of guys taking unsolicited photos of girls whilst they're squatting and working out. Mm. So they just, they prefer it because they feel safer. Like, that's awful. 
and we shouldn't be creating tech, and I'm sure they're not creating tech for that reason, but we shouldn't be having to create a safe space for women to work out where they don't feel that they're going to basically be ogled by guys at the gym. Yeah. Also, though, a lot of them are encouraging people to lose weight, predominantly more than anything, and encouraging, again, young women to upload, like, bikini progress photos. Oh, really? Which, tying into the fact that some of these people have huge Instagram followings, is that kind of negative feedback cycle around social media. So I found this article really interesting interesting culturally because like I know you go to the gym and your boyfriend Joss is big on fitness too mm. just kind of wondered what you thought about these apps and I you... you know what I don't tend to use these apps apart from I have mapped my run yeah. and I have my 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 Fitbit watch I use to track my heart rate and yeah. um, my breathing exercises and like assisted workouts if I need them just to track my progress that way I think I get why these apps are around because unlike me I have a lot of female friends that don't like going to the gym independently because not so much of just guys are just a bit worried that they're going to go in there not know what they're doing and people are going to look at laugh them because you see these videos online people recording people and posting it it goes viral yeah that's an interesting so, point the article talks about the fact that these are these are structured whereas going to the gym people don't know what they're doing yeah I think with differences with, with me I've kind of always been like oh I don't want this to put me back from going to the gym so I'm just going to do it there's videos on YouTube that you can watch for certain machines and exercises that take two minutes and I'm just going to the gym and I'll just yeah. do them for a girl, it is intimidating because the weight sections are predominantly male. Mm. So going as a female, people do look at you because, you know, you're the only girl there in the entire room. Like, in a gym kit, like, people stare. And I've been hit on in the gym and it's uncomfortable. But yeah. I try not to let that put me off going into the gym. And I feel like these apps might have that adverse effect of people being like, well, I could just do it at home. No, it shouldn't be like that. Go to the gym, get over it, do it. Yeah, because gyms can be good social places. 100%. Like, but now I, can, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I've been going for years. I, I will be the only girl in, in the weight section because I know what I'm doing. But, yeah. and, you know, I, I have my instances where I was nervous about trying out a new machine or an exercise. I still get that now from trying something new. So I get why these apps are here for some people's self-confidence because I, I get how that feels. I think a lot of people can resonate with that. I also think, though, that they're missing a trick at the minute. I mean, one person that we've actually got coming up on a podcast in a few weeks is someone called Adele Anderson, who's created this thing called the Apocalypse Survival Training mm. um, app. And basically that is like um, hit and cardio in the form of running, but it's told through a story narrative. So you're a character in a story, and it it builds the fitness and the, the hit session and the running into the narrative of the story. So you listen to it like episodes and it tells you to exercise. Yeah. But instead of it just being like people on the screen being like, right now do burpees. And you're like, where's the motivation for this? It draws you into a story to get you to kind of play along and like, oh, okay, I've got to run because I'm running away from X. Uh, that's hilarious. Which I think is like a really, that's a, that's a more innovative use of tech. Yeah, definitely. Rather than just let's produce a low cost fitness model online I guess yeah I don't know I just think that more could be done with I, th I think especially people, as it's such a growth area yeah and I think people obviously go at their own like they, they learn and they uh, they persist in different ways like running I find really difficult mm. like to really motivate myself to do it with weights and I would happily so a narrative would help yeah it would it whereas like, Joss can just run for miles and not get bored and then like but like to get him to do squats is 
fucking nightmare. So like, it's just, it depends on the person. I thought it was an interesting insight into how technology is disrupting a, an age-old industry that's obviously growing because fitness, let's face it, has become this huge trend. But um, mm. there we go, final thought. Um, are you going to go to a gym over the bank holiday weekend? Uh, what am I doing bank holiday? No, I don't have the time. Because so, like, you're out having fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you about my weekend first. I've got Go an on. 80s themed house party at my parents' house. Oh my God. So me and Joss have got matching um, shell suits. You know the tracksuits? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've got a pink one. He's got a blue one. It, so you're going as Scousers? Yeah, well, 80 Scousers. But my, mine is so small, the legs are really tight. And then I got, I got a foot, oh, I'll order Joss's in a, in a size up because mine was super small. It's so big, like you could fit two people in it. And I was like, I was crying of laughter when he showed up. Oh, it was so bad, so I don't know what we're gonna do about that. Oh, well, have an enjoyable party. Yeah, and I'm going to Bristol, so I will.